I'm Susan Branscombe, and this is Leading She. If you think that a glass ceiling is there, or if you think that is going to impede you, then it will. I think a glass ceiling is like giving up before you start. Kay Geiger is president of PNC Bank, Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky. She is one of the very few female bank presidents in the country. She leads with energy and thrives on building and participating in teams. Kay says it is important for women to have courage to see themselves through every challenge. She insists that if women believe there is a glass ceiling above them, then there will be. Enjoy this wonderful discussion with Kay Geiger. Great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. You know, I would, I'd like to turn this into a reverse podcast, Susan. So uh, for those of you that know Susan, who's had a 40-year career in some similar paths as mine, being in the financial services sector, um, she has really been a pioneer in real estate and in leading women to be in places um, in the real estate field. Um, I think you were one of the founding members of Crew and mm-hmm. some other great organizations. So I might just have to start calling on you now in your podcast career, the Jane Polly of podcasts. Now, <laughs> probably 90% of the people listening to this won't Jane know Jane Polly was. Another Maybe great Barbara Roma. Walters or something. Maybe an Oprah kind of thing. Thank you. Thank you. That's high praise yeah. coming from you. Um, tell me about your career. I'd just love to get a summary of, you know, I, I know a lot of this, but tell the listeners, you know, your background kind of how you got into banking. Give me some firsts, you know, your first this woman, you know, at U.S. Bank, whatever. Uh, but give me a background on your career. Okay. Well, thank you. You know, I um, I feel very fortunate to be in the career that one might say chose me. Uh, because when I started off in banking, I really thought it was a different type of career. Um, I frankly got into it because I had um, an opportunity from a professor who told me there was an international banking position. But it really goes back farther than that. It goes back to uh, somewhere in middle school, uh, eighth grade, I recall, I really had this insatiable desire to learn languages and had the opportunity to be an exchange student. And that was a really pivotal part. When I was 16, I went to Brazil. Mm. And it was from that very moment on, there was this this open-minded curiousness that I found quite energizing around people that were different from me, cultures. Mm. And so I always knew I wanted to a career in something involving international. Now, back in that time, it was early be- before imports and exports were really in the you know trade commerce. So I was thinking it was going to be a global firm, like a Procter & Gamble, of which would have been fine. But I had this opportunity, this door opened, to go to a bank and be in an international department. So the reverse order often of careers in international, domestic first, then international. Mm-hmm. So that's how I was in banking because I became a, an international credit analyst. I had majored in business at Miami University, and I went on to get my MBA at Ohio State. And during that first period of time, um, I started to experience first. So I became an international credit analyst for a bank. Now, let's be clear. It wasn't something that I, at the moment, thought I'm going to fall in love with banking. I frankly wanted to be, in the end, an ambassador. Mm-hmm. Go in the Foreign Service Corps, be in the embassy, be in the commercial attache. Well, wouldn't you know it, this first 10 years of my career, I was the only person that spoke Spanish and Portuguese. And so 
One of the first was to uh, what is now I keep talking about, like, don't assume because of your age the opportunity will limit you. Frankly, in banking at the time, there was more of a hierarchy, and you had to have so many years, you know, Mm -hmm. so many years before you were a vice president or an officer. And that was the case. But I happened to be one of the first officers of the bank, female officers, Mm -hmm. and I was traveling to Latin America. Um, It's kind of lots of stories we could do on a whole other day. um, How how old were you then? I was 26 to 32 when I was collecting uh, delinquent debt from borrowers in Central and South America. So that was rather first. Um, Some interesting stories that went with that. Um, But I think through... Um, always trying to be prepared, trying to be curious and open-minded. I was afforded um, a lot of opportunities to lead. And I remember being, you know, the first um, woman vice president and then senior vice president and having my entire group significantly older than I am. So it was um, lots of um, stretching that I got to do and serving on an executive management committee and a senior um, leadership role. Mm-hmm. Um, I subsequently then was um, moved on from not only just international banking, but treasury management, corporate and institutional banking, and then on the executive committee of an institution that had a lot, a good 10 years of acquisition. So I married a lot of cultures together. Mm-hmm. So as it all um, goes back around, there was a whole theme through there yeah. um, of ambassador turned and banker. And who would think... Um, you know, in a role of a president of a bank, which I feel privileged to to be here, is that you know you really have to have a lot of mental momentum to mm-hmm. um, keep up and continue learning and to be able to be mm-hmm. serving a, a diverse group of clients mm-hmm. and employees. Right. You're one of the busiest people I know. I know you get started early and you work long days and you're, you're out there all the time. And how long have you been president of PNC Bank? It's been a while. Yeah, it's been 11 years. Has it really? Yeah. Okay. I remember when it happened. So very cool. Very cool. Um, so tell me a little bit about uh, your childhood, where you grew up. Uh, I know you went to Miami of Ohio for college and then got your master's uh, at Ohio State. Siblings, uh, what, your, what your parents did. Well, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, I think that it, the the one beautiful part of my family was that there was this incredible importance placed on education. Um, it was just part of um, a long lineage of uh, of people that believe no matter what it is, it's it ultimately is your freedom um, to explore the world and, mm-hmm. and to have choices. And so um, both of my parents were very, very supportive of that. Um, I have a, a sister who is equally mm-hmm. um, successful. And um, and uh, so it, I was surrounded by um, a great deal of love around learning. And um, But I think one of the things that was great about um, growing up with my parents is they must have had a tremendous... Um, a tremendous trust in giving me these, and there was no giving. I mean, I, I, I paid my way through college, and I, you know, did mm. what I needed to do to get to be a foreign exchange student in Brazil and those things. But it, the the giving was that. Um, I think now to think about a sixteen year old young girl going into senior year of high school before there were cell phones, um, 
going off to Brazil to be an exchange student, not knowing who she's, you know, the host family, not knowing anything, wow. um, and giving and having the trust that that would be a good experience, and it was it was a game changer. Mm. Similar to going to um, the University of Salamanca um, as well when I was at college. So I think it was that um, that expectation, not overly. Um, mandated, but just a comfort that you will find and discover what you need um, by being educated. Mm -hmm. Um, My mother um, also was a great role model, and she was um, always a professional, maybe in the era that um, it wasn't as common, and and she was an educator and became assistant superintendent and was in a leadership role. So I, I, there wasn't anything odd or awkward about me being a professional mom or me being, you know, in a profession um, where you may be one of the first, which she was mm-hmm. in the in the 60s and 70s. And so that was a tremendous role model for my sister and I. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's great. Um, Did I you think, want to know about the rest of my family? Y- yeah, you got cousins, uh, you no. got uh, grandfathers. <laughs> no, I... I uh, uh, what about Jack and I've been the married kids? for 41 years, and I have two wonderful children, yeah. um, Morgan and Travis, and they are both yep. um, equally insatiable in their desire to learn. Yeah, I know. I want to know a little bit more about them, maybe at the end. Um, I, know, I know, know them all. Um, uh, I, I believe that I am oriented more toward being an entrepreneur. I've, I've spent my time in the corporate setting, a bank for a while, a life insurance company in lending. Um, I'm, I think I'm less of a team player. I have to work at it. You like teams. You, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but tell me about this. You thrive on getting things done through teams, and you have a saying that says, no idea is crazy unless you think you can do it alone. So tell me about that. Well, I I can't man- imagine doing anything alone. I mean, I know they say we come in alone and we go out alone, but you know, in between, I do, I just can't imagine missing that opportunity um, of togetherness. And while I love to be alone, um, I don't think you can do alone. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, I, I think that um, when you have teams. And I absolutely love teams. I like I, my family's a team. Mm-hmm. Um, my friendship circles are teams. Mm-hmm. My like, and maybe that's just the way I think a team is because I think a team means that one everybody is distinctly unique. I mean, that's what's exciting about it. Mm-hmm. It's like a living lab. Yeah. You know, sometimes you create teams and you have more of the you know raw materials from the beginning that's known to you. Sometimes you are given a team. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. you have to repair teams. I had, I've had a lot of experience in blending teams, mm-hmm. um, and it's like a recipe. You know, if nothing the way you start ends up because every pinch of every unique talent that comes in and out, even if you have a team that's been together for twenty years, they, you know, they are talented in their own right. They're weak in their own right. Um, mm-hmm. They grow at their own pace. They seek things at their own. So when you when you end up thinking of everything as a living lab and you are, since the world is, you know, it's not, it's not, you know, static. It's just basically we all have to ebb and flow. And I think that's what a team gives you. I, it's mm-hmm. hard to, to manage yourself mm-hmm. um, into, alone. Yeah, and get things done alone. And many times I'll just go out, I'll do it, I'll get it done. And and you have to be you know surrounded by a team that gets it done. Right. You know, everybody brings his fortunate. or her own, her own strengths 
to the table. So it's great that you're oriented that way. And I, you know, I think it's also, um, I think it's also inclusive in the standpoint mm -hmm. that um, people really do like to be asked to um, commit themselves to something, but it's hard to commit yourself to something if you don't have a something around. And that's what a team can also do. It can mm -hmm. create the something. It can create the vision. It can, can create that. And so I think it's it's really an important part of just living. Yeah. And yeah. Thank I, you. I agree. Um, you've given me a list of your top things, your t uh, 10 tenets, and, I, and it's long, so we won't go into all of them, but some of them really stood out to me. And I want to bring these these up now and ask you a little bit more about them. Uh, one quote is this, notwithstanding the requirement to listen, there are times when you have to accept there, that there has been enough talking and assert yourself. Recognize assertiveness is not a dirty word. What does that mean to you? Well, I think in that context, um, it I think listening is sort of the operative word. Um, but, you know, you can listen and then um, at some point, um, I think, again, this is something that teams can create. Um, you, you, can, um, you can talk and you haven't gotten to the end point. So I think that word assertive is when you have to have the courage. It's, you have to make, be a decision maker. And, and a leader, right? A leader. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think you have to have the courage to be decisive, mm -hmm. particularly in challenging times. Now, I don't believe that if you say that, and, and I do believe you have to, to do that um, in certain times. I'm not saying that you're saying you're right. You just want to do it right. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure that um, you recognize that in the end, successful people have to make important decisions, and everybody on that team is important. Um, but you have to manage those decisions, and somebody has to step up. Mm -hmm. So I often say that um, decision-making is overrated, and decision-managing is underrated. Mm -hmm. So when I say be assertive, you have to realize you're going to—somebody has to make a decision. Somebody has that point of view. Um, and then what is what happens with that point of view, hopefully done with the proper amount of, you know, thoughtfulness about that decision, then you have to go with it. And that's what mm -hmm. I mean is like, do you have to have to be assertive and go with it, mm -hmm. hope, ho hoping you made the best decision you could. But then if you didn't, you still have the opportunity mm -hmm. to manage it. Yeah. I mean, I've been in plenty of meetings where there's a lot, a lot of talk, you know, talk, 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 talk. I mean, it's just like, and, and nobody is taking a leadership role and saying, look, we've talked about this. It seems like the consensus is this. Can I recommend the following action take place? I mean, mm -hmm. that's what you're talking about, and mm -hmm. I'm sure you have to do that mm -hmm. a lot. I always say that goals are nothing without action. Yeah. So you, you really can't be afraid to get right. started. And it's part of being a leader. Absolutely. A woman leader, man leader, you've got to be the one that says, look, let's do this. What, is everybody okay with that? Right. Build consensus. But uh, if you are in a, a group of, uh, if you're in a meeting with a lot of people that don't tend to be leaders, mm -hmm. there can be talking for the next three hours, yeah. you know? I think you bring up a good point. I think you have to meet people um, where they are. I know that's maybe a, an overstated, you know, comment that people make. But I truly mean you do need to do that. And so when you're in that situation you just reference, um, you have to, that's when you have to take a a pause understanding that there is not going to be any decisioning unless you are assertive. And mm -hmm. that, I think that's why I don't think it's a, a dirty word. It's, mm -hmm. I think it's just, 
you know, you have to recognize at some point you need to be the leader and take the position. Take action. And that mm-hmm. involves risk as well, to having the courage Absolutely. to make the decision. Right. That's right. Um, you're like me. You're often the only woman in the room. And sometimes I don't know that men always know how to take us, act around us. You're the head person at PNC Bank. So, you know, it's not like you're in middle management. You're like the head person. Uh, what advice would you give a woman when she's the only woman in a room and it's, um, you know, there's a boardroom or it's maybe a social event, she's the only woman. And I've been in these situations many, many times in my career. I'm sure you have too. Um, and maybe you don't conduct yourself any differently. I mean, tell me what advice you would give to young women about this. Well, I I have the majority of my life uh, in my professional career, I have been the only woman in the room. So probably like you, it's not actually odd to me. No. Now, that is not the answer to, like, is that does that seem right? I think at the end, it doesn't matter if you're the only woman in the room. You are. You have a seat in the room. Mm-hmm. And if you have a table set and you have a seat, then everybody has a voice. So I get the question often, um, you know, how does it feel? Well, frankly, it feels normal. And I think every woman should feel that way because you're not there to be a woman or a man. You're there to be a person that has a good mind, adding value, presenting new concepts, being innovative, whatever it is you need to be in the seat you have, the role you play, every seat has a different role, then be yourself. That's the advice I would give. Mm-hmm. And please don't let gender get in your mindset and let it get in the way. Yeah. That is not the that is not the answer on whether we need to have more diverse systems and organizations and, and that it's a difference it's a different question that you pose mm-hmm. and I like that you did pose it because it's not it's it should be no different of whether mm-hmm. you're the only the only one because you may be the only one in a different dimension mm-hmm. uh, there's all kinds of only ones and it's it you know it maybe just because numbers 50 percent men 50 percent women but mm-hmm. that's not how the world is even lined up uh, anymore so. Mm-hmm. Right. We will be an only, all of us will be an only one in many different situations at mm-hmm. some point. Often. If you look around, the diversity is really pretty incredible Absolutely. around just the world, you know, and we all have, we've all come from different places and everyone's got something that maybe is a little different, right? you know, so, um, and, and I think I, we talked about this as well. Let's lead into this. Um, and I'll go back. I agree with you on this that, you know, I bring Susan into that seat, you know, and, right. and sit at the table and know that I belong there, you know, and know that I have a voice and uh, I see myself as equals with them. I don't see myself as a woman, therefore not equal. I just see myself as a woman. I just happen to be the only woman. Maybe there's another woman in there, but we're all professionals. We're all trying to reach a goal or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it's felt. It's, you know, it's not felt abnormal or whatever, and I've done it for so long, and so have you. I um, I would love to take a moment to say thank you, because you have had this tremendous brand around you being Susan as a um, financial professional um, in, in, in the business you're in. So it's the Susan that happens to have her own company in the mortgage banking business and in the investment real estate business, and it's strong. Um, I can't imagine everybody anybody putting and Susan the woman because it's just 
what you've brought. You've brought your mind to the table every time I've been around a table with you. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what we have to do. Mm-hmm. Thank I you. I think you have to be prepared, and that's what you need to be thinking about, not anything else. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> but we'll, we'll lead into what you were talking about. And the glass ceiling has been a term that's been going on for a long time. And tell me what you think about a glass ceiling. And I think I know what you're going to say, but I'd, I'd like to hear what you say to women about and to men about glass ceiling and what does that mean? Uh, I have felt this way from the day that I was in the workforce, um, and I'm putting it in a career context, but I'll say this in any leadership role, around a boardroom, um, in your circles, uh, your communities, whatever kind of example you want to give. If you think that a glass ceiling is there, or if you think that is going to impede you, then it will. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, and you can call that uh, visualization, or you can just call that exactly what it is. It's not there. If you put it there, it will be there. That's different, though, than, you know, are our, our, our organizations um, reflecting our customer bases, are our organizations reflecting what we want them to Um Probably everybody would say the same. All of us, everybody that's leading an organization, men and women, I don't think has a gender. Um, I think those that can make make things happen, maybe affect change, be an ally, be a voice, um, particularly those that are unexpected voices for this, um, are really effective, really effective. But I have never believed. I'm very firm about it. I'm very clear about it. I don't believe in it. And I think if you do believe in it, then you've created your own obstacle of something that is not there. And particularly today, mm-hmm. um, the issues that people deal with in whatever the the um, your differences are or your challenges are, are unrelated to this glass ceiling. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, good to hear. I always visualize this glass ceiling of all the women down here, and then we're looking above, and all the guys are up there. And yeah, I do think that there's an inner glass ceiling that some mm-hmm. women have, and that they think that there are barriers to you know uh, rising and advancing because she's a woman. And if you think that, there will be. Is what right. you're saying, right? Absolutely. Right. You know, and I think that that visualization is is powerful and it's it's sadly you know what i would think would destroy the tenacity that you need to have i mm-hmm. mean you can't be looking up and and wishing you need to just get up and 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 prove it and be strong and be right. tenacious and be persistent and not be you know there are not all good days but no. you know do not get frustrated right um it but it's like anything you know if you if you i think a glass ceiling is like giving up before you start Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to be a barrier that you have to overcome and not thinking of it as a barrier, but bring your own brand in, bring your own mm-hmm. hard work and listen and do what you want. And, you know, yeah. and, and let's be clear, I have never felt uh, perhaps I'm fortunate or perhaps it just is how I've um, chosen to to um, be myself. I have never, ever felt that I had limitations. Was the was the demographic that I looked at every day look like I would? Yes, clearly. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. already talked about that. Yeah. But I didn't ever feel that. And so consequently, every mentor I've had, every person that has um, allowed me to have an opportunity was a man. 
um, mm-hmm. for the most part. And so I, I, I believe that we all have something to contribute. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, yeah, and that leads me to another question that I know you believe you have an opinion on. Um, we talk about women, and we've talked about in other podcasts, taking risk. And there's an opportunity, let's say, she has to go into another area of the bank or area of a corporation, whatever. And we talk about taking the risk. Don't be afraid to do it. Um, But you talk about something interesting about taking the risk, but what's the lost opportunity? And what about the person who's taking the risk on her? I'd like to hear what you have to say about that. Uh, it's um, it's interesting. I enjoy being asked to do this because I um, I don't look back because um, you can't change it. But in looking back in reflection, which is good, I realize that, and I've always believed that any time somebody asks you, and this has nothing to do with gender, um, for to consider an opportunity. I'm not. This isn't about decisioning the opportunity. This is you are given an opportunity. Um, their place. They are making a bigger commitment on your success than you are before you even accept that opportunity to succeed. Right. So put in another way, whoever asks you to do something that might stretch you, who's asking you to take a leap, who may not even think you're taking a leap, you just think that, that you're not prepared or whatever reasons we have that you don't know, that other person is making a bigger bet than you will ever bet on yourself. Mm-hmm. So know that when somebody specifically ask you, they are not doing it um, without predetermined thought about your capabilities or you mm-hmm. wouldn't be asked. Yeah. So I always think if you're, it's one thing to say you'd like to do something and go and go that way, which is completely, ex, um, you know, acceptable and frankly should be if you, if nobody, you know, people can't read your mind. But really, I would say more, more, uh, more commonly people are asked to do something of mm-hmm. great whatever it is, and great is, doesn't matter. I mean, when I was asked to be a foreign exchange trader and I never traded, or I was asked to be a trade finance manager over people 20 years my senior, or I was the first woman on the executive committee, or all those things, there was somebody that said, I believe in you right, so mm-hmm. much more than you'll ever believe in yourself. Yeah. And I think that that is really... Um, it's quite it's quite liberating, mm-hmm. um, but it's also something I think you, you have to be mindful of because it's not I don't think it's natural for anybody mm-hmm. to be given uh, something where they're not completely prepared as if you ever are but that you don't think you are completely there yet not to have that you know concern the what if and that's fine I mean you mm-hmm. should I, right. mean, we, I hope we aren't so confident that we walk around thinking we can do it all which we can't but when somebody does it just realize they're taking a big bet right and they want you yeah. to succeed because you know what if you don't it's going to look badly they, on them. Exactly. Right. They and, have the bigger rest. And I know a number of times in my career where women, men, recommended that I do it. and But when we've talked about it in this podcast, we've said, you know, take the risk. Go do it. But but your perspective is there is somebody that has said you would be good at this. I believe in you. And if you're not good at it, it's going to reflect badly on that person. I remember when I my first job out of college was Kissel Mortgage Company in Springfield, Ohio. Okay, this goes back to 1980. And I came in as a trainee. But in six months, they had an opening for a supervisor of a department, 12 women, all older than me. 
And I was up for it, and I thought, there's no way I'm going to get it. I interviewed for it, and I got it. And the woman who recommended me, Pat McGee, said, I want Susan in there. 21 years old, right out of school, managing right. 12 people, you know. And she believed in me, you know, and she, and she saw something in me, and I did it. It wasn't easy. I can relate. I can <laughs> so relate. I'm sure you've had I those can, opportunities, yeah. too. In a commercial real estate, somebody recommended me. I was coming out of residential. I didn't know anything about commercial. And he believed in me. And so, yeah, yeah you just have to jump, right? Yeah. It's exactly right. So I always think of this, um, one of my favorite sayings about that is, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Mm -hmm. And I think it's that, always have a sense of open-mindedness, have a sense of being ready. Mm -hmm. um, because when when they're, when you're asked, you're never going to feel ready. But when you are always in a, in a mindset of openness and curiosity, mm -hmm. it seems like more doors open. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I agree with that. More readily. I, I agree with that, yeah. There was a time in your career, and we've talked about this, when um, you made a big, you, ha you had a decision to make a big career move, and it would have had an impact on your family. So I think people see you, and you have such a great reputation in town with Thank everyone. You. Everyone knows you, you know, and just have a great reputation. Thank you. Um, and I think if... It would be maybe surprising to some, knowing how ambitious you are and driven, to hear that, you know, in a situation like this, that um, maybe you chose not to make the big career move. Tell me about that when that happened. I probably have several, but the one that, um, that comes to mind um, as you ask that, and it's always been, um, you know, from an order of priority, it's about family. Um, and my family's been such an incredible support. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we all believe in supporting each other. And so there was a time where I was going to be making and could have made a ve very quantum leap, a major quantum leap, um, and was asked to do that. And while I have moved in my career, it wasn't the move. It was the clarity I had around the time commitment um, versus the reward and the time commitment. Um, I ha I was already spending an extreme amount of time traveling away, um, which was perhaps you know a strain already. But it wasn't. It wasn't like oh I have to I have to change this. So when that time came, it re reminds me of you know in economics where the supply and demand curve crosses, or right. you know, and that's price the delta or something, exactly. Right. <laughs> and you know, you could go down the. I make decision oftentimes. I'm, well, you know, sort of the pros and the cons, the debits and the credits. And when I did that exercise, the value, whether it was the monetary value, the position. Um, the where I would be, you know, in the most senior position, it did not match the other delta, which was there was a very important time in our family. My children were five and eight, and mm. we could have just kept going, and I they would have just been the wonderful supporters they've always been, but it was just not worth it. And mm -hmm. it was a, you know, one might say it was a, you know, it could have financially been different and better. It could have been this. Everybody can make a case 
on one side of the ledger or the other. Mm -hmm. But this ledger was very clear Mm -hmm. on why I needed to. And, you know, there were a lot of questions like, well, you really are on the top of your game, and why would you do that? And is there anything wrong? And no. And so, it was, you know, there was no health reason. Fortunately, Mm -hmm. there was no forced reason. I wasn't being, you know, there was nothing other than it became really clear, like I said, like, Mm -hmm. this is just not. The ROI on this, on a family and personal standpoint, is so not. You looked worth at it from a return on investment. It, absolutely, and life is an investment. <laughs> yes, really. I no, I'm serious. Yeah. It was an ROI decision yeah. about life. Yeah, I do. And how did you get clear on that? Because it was like, oh, here's this huge opportunity, but my kids are small, and I have to travel and everything. I mean, what advice would you give to women when they have these opportunities and they they don't necessarily choose the big career move? Um. You know, it's it's a common question, and I don't, and honestly, any time you make a decision, it doesn't have to be quite as big as that one example. Because I've had others where, um, but with our smaller, maybe in magnitude, whatever the whatever the you know metrics where you were comparing, mm-hmm. I would say anybody, um, you know, men or women, you have to you have to. There's various seasons in your life, mm-hmm. and. You have to know that if you're fortunate to live a long enough life, regardless, you're going to get another bite of the apple. There's always going to be something. Right. Now, it's very uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. It's like one of the most uncomfortable things you do in your profession is make that one decision that doesn't look like the natural progression. Right. But um, And I think we're becoming focused on that whole person, and we're not so tied up in the hierarchical structure mm-hmm. um, as it was probably at first. Mm-hmm. 30 plus years of my mm-hmm. career. So I would say be real, real truthful with yourself about your personal partnership with your career, mm-hmm. whatever that is, whatever your personal situation is, mm-hmm. and your professional part of your mm-hmm. life. Um, we spend so much time on our profession that it is heavily, it heavily gets weighted and it can get very... Um, clear that you you wait to that but it's not right. a, it should never be and you knew you had faith that there would be other opportunities for you and you know here you are you know yes there were many other great opportunities here for you and just because you made that decision in favor of your family on that rather than the, that promotion you know there will be other bites of the apple as you say well, um, absolutely. In fact, and, and you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, so it's it's not a fair um, analysis. But I am certain in this case that we've talked about that if I wouldn't have done that, I would have never been in the places that I was since that decision. Which there were several chapters to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I had I. I did some consulting for a global bank. I, uh, you know, opened up in markets for an, for a bank. There are all kinds of situations, you know, came after that. But I would never have had this wonderful opportunity. This is the this is this whole decisioning I made many before, but that big one. I would never be privileged to be the president of the bank at this yeah. point. Never. It was meant mm. to be. Yeah, it's meant to be. Another quote you provided in the information you sent me was, you have to have the courage to be decisive, particularly in challenging times. And so you were with the bank in 2008 and nine, right? Mm-hmm. When uh, we had the great recession and uh, mm-hmm. banking, it was a lot of 
lot of things going on there. I would think that would be regarded by you as one of the challenging times. Mm -hmm. But uh, like we talked about being decisive and having the courage, how do you how do you get through the challenging times? I always see you as a very positive person, but how do you how do you get through the challenging times? You know, in your life or at the bank. Um, I think if you're using the word courage, it has a lot of dimensions. Um, I think that you have to have, I think that you really have to have strength behind courage. And what I mean by that is, is you, you can learn that skill of courage. You have to develop it. You have to have had opportunities to make decisions in challenging times. Um, but you have to be clear that there's always a solution, even if it's painful. Um, so you you know you can't ever think I can't muster the courage. And so when I talk about courage, it's not the absence of fear, mm-hmm. whether it's the economy that's creating a chaos in in your businesses, um, but it's the actions you take um, that you need to have, even if you're afraid. So those things combined, you know, it's when you are brave about being something that you fear. You just have to have that strength to stay. I, You know, I believe in persistence. I believe in consistency, but I completely believe that you have to be motivated to see yourself through every challenge. I mean, mm-hmm. I have, I've been fortunate in my career to have many um, parts where it was a major challenge, uh, you know, an acquisition we made that took five years to work out, um, frankly, the whole portfolio of the institution. Mm-hmm. There were periods of time where there would be an acquisition and there were painful decisions that you have to make um, among how to design the new business. Um, and so I think we're all afraid of something, but I don't think that you... You know, courage is the strength to stay motivated, tenacious, and on the path. But I also think there's subsets of that. And I think you have to have um, emotional courage. Hmm. And when I mean emotional courage, I mean, I think you, um, in the face of constant challenge and perhaps surrounded by people that are fearful um, in the conditions of that, you cannot have your ego in front of that. Hmm. That will disturb your emotional courage. I mm-hmm. think you have to be very, um, it's not about you. And if you put you in there, emotional courage can be weak. Mm-hmm. I think you have to have extremely clear moral courage. I have not fortunately had to have a lot of, you know, really challenging courageous moral issues, but I have. And and when you have, when you don't have moral courage, and are a leader and don't take courageous actions, whatever that may be, uh, you are you are the problem. You have created mm-hmm. a problem. So I think courage, really emotion. Getting out of yourself. And Correct. you've got a team and they're looking to use like, is she scared or we're scared? We, you yeah. know. And I think, you, you know, you have to, at the end, everything you do, if you don't have integrity mm-hmm. and have your values, when you're going through challenging times, I think that's when they're tested the most. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about me as a person or you as a person, but the organization, your own, your company, your right. great entrepreneur, or a big organization, or you know, like I've been fortunate to be in leading. Um, you have to you have to be very clear mm-hmm. and very um, non-negotiable about the integrity mm-hmm. um, because it 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 wears mm-hmm. and it's it's tiring. Yeah, yeah. 
tell me about a story um, in your career where you think it might illustrate gender, you know, making a difference, maybe being invited to an event, not included. How did you handle it? How would you recommend a young woman handle it? Just, you know, I'm sure you're like me, you have many stories. But are there any in particular that stand out? Uh, I always, you know, I tend to always, for some reason, you know, I ask, get asked those questions. And uh, I usually like to steer away from them because some of them really are, don't tell a story. But um, there are situations. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, my, I think one of my favorite, which was when I look back, it, it tells the story today of what some people don't realize the position they're in that can make such a huge difference. And it goes like this. I was um, a young relationship manager um, on a corporate, a large corporate account, but I was, you know, I was new. And, um, and so I had a couple other senior people because it was a very important account for the bank. Um, And there was the annual, and let me put the context, this wouldn't happen today, my guess, maybe it would, but Mm. um, it was um, about 35 years ago, mm-hmm. and there was the annual traditional corporate outing. You remember, everybody played golf. Right. You always had a customer corporate outing. Mm-hmm. You always invited your best customers. It right. was, I mean, you had more than one a year. There was just, it was part of customer entertainment. Yes. And so I was, uh, I was the relationship manager on the account. We had the outing, and everybody was invited, and my my customer was invited, and I wasn't, but that was not uncommon because um, golfing at the time didn't really engage, for whatever reason, women. So my progressive customer, as I will call him now, went to my senior executive and said that uh, he was not going to play in the outing unless I played, which was a little bit unnerving um, for my boss. Um, But he quickly was uh, smart enough to realize that where they say the customer always wins. Um, And so, but there was a better chapter with this. Uh, On on their side, they had um, an assistant treasurer, um, a young, I mean, and and similar to me. So we are peers. Mm -hmm. And he said, if... She can't play, and Kay can't play. We won't play at all. So this would be like taking the biggest customer um, conspicuously out of the annual outing. (laughs) And so thanks to the—it was interesting. So uh, the other side of it is don't ever underestimate the ambassadors that are there, the Mm -hmm. allies that are there for you, because people Mm -hmm. know you in other contexts than your um, own organization. Your Mm -hmm. customers know you, your— the community organizations, if you volunteer or you serve mm-hmm. on boards, know you. And mm-hmm. so people people should be um, mindful that you have more friends than you probably right. will ever believe. And that was a perfect case. Yeah, he was an advocate for you. Totally. And the bank's like, wait a minute, she's a woman. You you want to have her play with us? And, and that happened back then. Yeah, that happened back then. But uh, that's good. That's good that he uh, advocated for you. Would you do anything differently today? I mean, it wouldn't be, it would be kind of unusual for you not to be I played golf with you a number of times. It'd be kind but of you unusual. got much better. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're competitive. <laughs> I am competitive. It was fun to play with you. Um, but today you would probably say, "Wait a minute, you need. I need to go, right? Or or not?" I, I think it's all. Every situation's different. Yeah. You know, I think the whole environment's changed. Yeah, it has. Um, 
You're right. I would say I want to play. <laughs> of course you would. <laughs> um, tell me about your, we'll wrap up here. And uh, what? Uh, tell me about your, your community service. You do a lot. You have done a lot serving. Uh, what does it mean to you to serve uh, the community? And what advice would you give to, you know, young women, uh, you know, middle, 40-year-old uh, women, 50-year-old? You know, what, what, what advice would you give around serving your community, no matter what they're doing? I think that serving in your community is one of the greatest rewards you'll ever have. You know, we've talked a lot about our families. You know, that's my number one, and your careers are really important, and they've been incredibly um, engaging and, and important um, to me, the different parts of it. But when you serve in the community, I think it's it's three things that you get all in one opportunity. And just first... Um, I started doing this very early, meaning serving. So I'm not talking that everybody has to be on a board. I have been on many boards, and I currently am, and I will remain that way probably forever because I, for the reason one, I had the opportunity to realize that it's not up to my organization at any point in time. They were, I've been very, you know, they've been fortunate. I've been given opportunities, but you're in charge of your own development. Mm -hmm. And if you have a company that helps develop you, great. But in the end, a company or you running, a, you can't, it's not possible to have it, that one entity do it. Mm -hmm. So when you're out in the community, you have this incredible development opportunity to learn things you're never going to learn in your in your profession. Secondly, you meet so many people that are not in your particular profession, not in your particular industry, not in, in any, and some of them are like, you'll never find them, even if you went looking for them. Mm -hmm. And so the ability to find so many different diverse people with different backgrounds and different careers and different organizations and different industries is phenomenal. And the third that brings it all together is you learn, you know, it goes back to the development. You are observing, you know, I think being an observer of people is really important. Um, and the only way you could observe people is to be in the in the community. In You have to do, you have to be not out to be seen. It's like you have to, when you can study somebody who's sitting next to you on a board or a committee that has been an entrepreneur and sells her company and is now going on to the next, or if you're sitting next to a CEO, a retired CEO of a Fortune 500, or you're sitting next to, you name them. Mm -hmm. They're all sitting around, and the beautiful part of being in Cincinnati and northern Kentucky is this is one of the most incredibly giving, not just financially, which it is, mm -hmm. philanthropic and our own personal time with organizations, mm -hmm. that it's almost, it's almost if you aren't, it's a lost opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I've had, you know, and so when I look back, I mean, I've done everything from economic development Mm -hmm. Entities and organizations, um, social service organizations, healthcare organizations, higher education, um, and, and all levels of education, um, and the arts. All of those, if you think about, if there were, if you're on a board of each of those segments of our economy, mm -hmm. think of what you learn. Mm -hmm. It does take you back. You know, it's it's like, you know, people say they go on to get, have advanced degrees. That's nice. But when you're in the, when you're in an advanced degree of life in your community, you have six PhDs before you know it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I've served on a number of nonprofit boards and uh, 
it's always really enriching. And I think it's an obligation. I think it's an obligation of all of us, you know, as business people in our town to give back in that way, monetarily and of our time. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. One last question. Uh, I want to hear what uh, your children are doing. They're fantastic, and that's what's so great about having a friendship um, over these years together, yeah. Susan, because I've been watching all of your your wonderful family and their changes and successes. So, um, you know, one might say I'm a flyover parent because I have my daughter in New York City now um, who um, had her master's from Columbia, is now uh, working in the healthcare world, doing very, very well. And my son is in Los Angeles um, as a filmmaker and director and entrepreneur and doing very well, having um, finished a pilot for a television series that he is looking to um, market and is marketing currently. And so together they are just, they're incredible. They're um, equally on their own journeys of learning and exploring. And I know that Morgan will change the healthcare world and Travis will be telling us stories that we need to hear for the rest of our lives. Mm, that's wonderful. Wonderful to watch your kids. I watched them grow up and it's wonderful to watch your kids be successful. Right. Thanks for joining me today. I consider you a good friend and I uh, really appreciate you doing this today. Thank you, Susan. Right. The next chapter. Yes. Right. Thank you for listening today. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review. Follow us on Instagram at Leading She. And visit our website, leadingshe.com, where we have many great ideas for women leaders 